Please be seated, and now we will move into a hymn sing. For those of you who aren't aware, it is Reformation Sunday. On October the 31st in 1517, a monk named Martin Luther, desiring to spark some theological debates over what was being practiced of selling indulgences to get into heaven, nailed to the door of the castle church his 95th thesis. And in this writing, he sparked off and ignited a flame that spread across Europe. And it became known as the Protestant Reformation. And what better day to start our first hymn sing than on Reformation Sunday? Because a hymn sing is a Protestant practice. Today, we are going to be blessed with hymns from the United Methodist Hymnal, the Cokesbury Hymnal, and we will be hearing words that will transform our hearts and minds through music. There's a sign in the choir room that says, when you sing, you pray twice, and that's what we're doing today. May the words from the songs, may the hymns that we sing today transform all of you. May you grow in love. As in the song we just sang, let them hear, may the earth hear his voice. And I hope you hear it through the hymns. I'm going to go sit in the audience. I'm going to be a part of the congregation for the hymn sing. And I'm going to turn it over to Russ and the choir. And may we enjoy the gift that they are giving us. Amen. start we're going to sing leaning on the everlasting arms we're doing all three stanzas and this is going to be one of the only two hymns i'm going to have you stand on i want you to be sitting and enjoy the choir's got to stand on all of them all right uh, as they lead us but i'm going to invite you to stand and uh jonah's going to have the words on the screen for us for this one leaning on the everlasting arms let's stand and sing what a fellowship what a joy divine
my Lord so dear, leaning on the everlasting heart. Please have a seat. Choir, you get to sit for a second. <laughs> Hymns were and are an important in the Protestant congregations as easily singable and memorable tunes. They're theologically rich, often taken straight from scripture. Hymn melodies are often based on folk tunes or popular songs to the time period at which they were written. In some cases, such as the lovely Silent Night, the text was written first followed by the hymn tune that we sing it to later. And other instances, the tune is uh, written, then an enterprising poet sets the text or the words to music, and then there are, of course, settings where the same person writes both the words, the text, and the music himself. Now, I want you to take a Cokesbury hymnal. It's in the hymn back right in front of you. It's by the, the big blue United Methodist hymnal, which is that one, all right? Take just a look, just a, uh, as I'm speaking, I want you to thumb through it. It's so small and handy. The hymnal includes 296 hymns. It has 50 responsive readings, and it's a good collection for such a small book. Compare it to the big United Methodist hymnal right there in the same slot. Now, as you leaf through the pages of the Cokesbury hymnal, you'll find hymns credited to some of the great composers such as George Frederick Handel. He gets credit for two hymns in the hymn book. One is Joy to the World. The other, While Shepherds Watch Their Flocks by Night. Another classical composer from the Romantic era, Felix Mendelssohn, has a hymn in there called Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Now he wrote the tune for that, but the words for Hark the Herald was written by Charles Wesley. Yes, John Wesley's brother. Many hymnals are written for a specific denomination, though there are some that are used across the denominations in the Protestant church. In researching for the Cokesbury, I found the hymnal is definitely a Methodist hymn book. It was originally designated specifically belonging to the Methodist Episcopal Church of the South. It seems now that it's been adopted by more uh, broadly among the Methodist churches. This has happened over many years. And that's a powerful point about hymns. They're meant to convey the gospel to the rest of the world in beautiful, memorable ways. Music works its way into our souls, and repeating singing of these hymns work the word of God deeper into our lives each and every week. There's no substitute for reading scripture, but hymns <coughs> use the power of music to write scripture on our hearts. Since you're going to have the Hokesbury hymnal in your hands already, turn to hymn number 233 and that Cokesbury hymnal. Jonathan's going to have the words on the screen anyway, but I want you to just, for this one, maybe use the great Cokesbury hymnal. 233, and we're singing the first and second stanza of Love Lifted Me. Let's sing it. I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, very deeply stained within, seeking to rise no more. But the master of the sea heard my despairing cry. From the waters lifted me, now safe am I. 
First Chronicles 17, 16 said, Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me thus far? While this is a prayer by King David, it teaches us the lesson of thanksgiving and humility. It's a passage that was used in a popular hymn written by John Newton. Have you ever wondered who wrote a specific hymn? Have you ever wondered for what purpose was that hymn written? There are hundreds, if not thousands, of hymns some incredibly well-known across numerous countries and denominations. The growing popularity of these hymns may make one wonder how or why they've gained so much traction on their journey throughout the world. This is a little story behind Amazing Grace. It was December 1772 in England. At the age of 47, John Newton began writing a hymn that would grow immensely popular over the next 350 years. His song, Amazing Grace, Newton writes about a grace that is immense. He writes about an amazing grace, one that saved him out of wretchedness. By looking within the hymn, Amazing Grace, one's able to understand a little bit about Newton's personal conversion. Although every person's conversion story is unique, there is something about this hymn that remains relatable to every Christian everywhere. Newton discusses where he was when he found God, or rather, when God found him. He was a wretch, he was lost, and he was blind in his sin. Newton, as an adult, followed his father's footsteps as a sailor on the high seas. Newton began his life's career by searching throughout the African coast for slaves to capture and eventually sell for profit. On one journey, Newton and his crew encountered a storm that swept many of his men overboard and left the others at the likelihood of drowning also. With both hands fastened safely to the wheelboard, Newton cried out to God saying, Lord God, have mercy on us. After 11 hours of steering in the storm, the remainder of the crew found safety finally with the calming of the storm. From that day on, Newton dated March 21st as a day set aside for time for humiliation, prayer, and praise of God. Upon arriving safely home, Newton didn't venture out again to seek more slaves for trade. Instead, he began learning biblical Hebrew and Greek. He occasionally accepted requests to talk about his conversion in front of different congregations. Newton was eventually ordained and began to lead his own church. God changed him 
from a man who was an advocate for slavery to a man actively working toward abolition in England. Later years, Newton began to lose memory. Although his thoughts were limited, Newton said he could remember two things, that I'm a great sinner and that Christ is a great savior. Newton passed away from this earth in 1807 at the age of 82. The song Amazing Grace, although originating in England, appeared in the American colonies later, accompanied with a different tune, more commonly known as New British. All of these hymns that we're singing today have a title for the words, and then they have a separate title for the tune, because in most cases, like I said, it was written by a different person at a different time and not necessarily for those words. This new song grew in popularity, but not because it was a catchy tune, but because of the words that Newton wrote related to every human being who encountered the saving grace of Jesus Christ. This song touched many people at various stages of their spiritual walk. Amazing Grace speaks of the sweetness found in Christ's grace for his children. As humans, we are lost. We are blind in our sin and need saving. Jesus' saving grace is truly amazing. <laughs>
right, as an introductory to the next hymn coming up, Love Divine, All Loves Excelling, let me talk to you a little bit about Charles Wesley. Charles Wesley, of course, is John Wesley's younger brother. During the winter of 1729, Charles underwent a spiritual awakening and initiated with two other undergraduates a club called the Holy Club. The Holy Club soon included his older brother, John Wesley, and they dedicated to frequent attendance at the Holy Communion, serious Bible study, and regular visitations to the Oxford prisons to witness there. John Wesley, his brother, came to lead the group, and its members were known as Methodists. This because of their methodical devotion and study. In 1735, in order to aid his brother in a mission to Georgia Colony here in North America, Charles accepted holy orders to come and to preach. Charles was subject to great extremes of emotion, different from his brother, and his spiritual despair and physical exhaustion in the Georgia colony led him to return to England after only a few months' stay here in the colonies. With the help of the Moravians, like his brother John, he found spiritual peace. And on Pentecost Sunday, May 21, 1738, he found himself at peace with God. He became a very eloquent speaker for the Methodist cause and translated the gospel message into what we call hymns. This became an important means of evangelism for him and the group. Charles Wesley was more deeply attached to the Church of England and didn't approve of his brother John Wesley's ordaining preachers coming over to the colonies. So he and his brother kind of had a little falling out between the two. His work as an evangelist and a hymn writer for Methodism, though, however, had already made its permanent mark. He published more than, listen to this, 4,500 hymns. And then he had 3,000 more in manuscript. Think about that. Just think about trying to write one hymn. I had to do that in college. I had to write one hymn for hymn class. It took the whole semester. Among Wesley's best-known hymns are what we're about to sing, Love Divine, All Loves Excelling, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, he wrote the words for that, Christ the Lord is Risen Today, Rejoice the Lord is King, and in our United Methodist hymnal, the larger hymnal there in your pew, he has over 50 hymns that are credited to him just in that hymnal alone. All right, I'm going to invite you to join with me. Stay seated if you would and sing Love Divine, All Loves Excelling. Oh, 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 oh,
All right, let's sing again. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus.
Thank you, ladies. That's a great hymn. Now, let's continue in our singing with It Is Well With My Soul. We'll sing the first two stanzas. It Is Well With My Soul. When peace like a The story behind Be Thou My Vision begins with St. Patrick. When he was just 16 years old, pirates kidnapped Patrick and sold him into slavery in Ireland. This caused him to enter adulthood knowing the Gaelic language and Irish customs. He also became a Christian during this time, and later years he managed to escape and return to his family in England. While most, we stayed, uh, home for, most of us would have stayed home forever, Patrick chose to go back to Ireland 
and become a missionary. What does this have to do with the hymn, Be Thou My Vision? Well, on Easter Sunday, A.D. 433, yes, 433, a local Irish king issued a decree in observation of the pagan druid god and festival prohibited anyone else from lighting a flame or a candle for their god. Patrick, refusing to honor anyone but Christ, stood against the king. That morning, Patrick risked his life by climbing to the tallest hill in the area and lighting a huge fire. As the ancient Irish people woke up, they could all see Patrick's defiance of the king. He could not hide his light. Patrick wanted to show the world that God's light shines in the darkness, and the only way he can do is praise God. Later years, an unknown composer wrote a melody in honor of Patrick's heroism called Slane, S-L-A-N-E. The now forgotten composer's name uh, wrote it and actually named it after the hill that Patrick built the fire on, and it was called in Ireland, Slane Hill. While the story behind the melody is legendary, the history about the lyrics or the words are a bit more obscure. Tradition tells us that an Irish poet from the sixth century named St. Dalian Fogel, that's Gaelic, I can speak Gaelic just simply by reading his name, but nothing else, uh, entitled this piece, Rope to Mobel, in honor of St. Patrick, this borrowing from another medieval poem, which means the Dark Ages poem, uh, written Saint Patrick's, about St. Patrick's breastplate, breastplate being the piece of armor that he would have, writ, would have worn here, protecting him. For Gale's lyrics referred to God as his battle shield, our breastplate, and his high tower, phrases that still exist in the modern version of this great hymn. Sadly, the oldest existing copy of Forgel's poem comes from a copy that was listed in the 14th century, not back in the 400 AD time period. It's impossible, though, to verify the actual origin of the, of the lyrics or the words to be thou my vision. As a result, most hymnals attribute the song to simply anonymous. As the years passed, the title slain for the tune and then the words by the Gaelic Rope to Mobile fell into obscurity. Their authors also faded away in time. But in 1905, nearly 500 years after St. Patrick <coughs> lit a fire on Slane Hill in Ireland, the forgotten hymn reemerged from the midst of time. Mary Byrne, a 25-year-old university student, discovered that 14th century copy and translated that Gaelic poem into English for the very first time. In a moment, uh, that now famous hymn became Be Thou My Vision, O Lord of My Heart. It sprang from the forgotten pages of time into the modern era. And later in 1912, an Irish woman named Eleanor Hull found the old tune, Slain Hill, and put the words and the music together. The story behind Be Thou My Vision is the story of the gospel. It's God's timing. He took what the world ignored and made it something beautiful. As far as man was concerned, the music to the old hymn and the tune were dead, nothing more but fragments from an antiquity time period that we can't even remember ourselves. But God took what was dead and made it alive again. He took what was ancient and made it new. So Be Thou My Vision, an old song, Yes or no? Well, just like he took dusty pages of the old hymn and dusted it off, he also took us and our sinful flesh 
and infused in us his spirit to make us new again in him. So John Stapp and I are dusting off the dust, and we're going to do a duet of that great hymn, Be Thou My Vision. He, he's just, I mean, he's uh, just warming up, and I've run out of voice. So let's, uh, let's just... <coughs> service for us just for this time and let's stand as we sing this last uh, hymn as part of our hymn festival and then remain standing for our affirmation of faith so let's stand as we sing victory in Jesus we're doing all three stanzas
of His cleansing power revealing how we made the lame to walk again and cause the blind to see. And then I cried to Jesus, Come and heal my broken spirit. And somehow Jesus came and brought to me the victory. Crystal 